All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The first selection of the National Hockey League Draft belongs to... The Daily Faceoff Podcast comes to you courtesy of the Nation Network. The first overall pick in the 2015 NHL Draft. Gretzky had it, lost it, Eisenman picks it up. Eisenman holding, blue line, jam, stop! And it's 9 o'clock on a Saturday night as they're lining up for a ginger ale. Way to go, gang. And the zone, Sikora picks it up, got it back near side, Korea. Korea, the fans want one. Daily Face Off. The Daily Face Off. The Daily Face Off podcast with your host, Brock Sagan. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to season three, episode 13 of the Daily Face Off podcast. I'm your host, Brock Sagan, and with me, as always, we've got Dylan D. Berthew. How's it going, D? Hanging in, man. Hanging the F in. And Michael Biebs Bondi. How's it going, Biebs I'm doing good. I'm, uh, I'm not doing quite as good as D, who I thought would be a little bit more happy about his. DraftKings lineups that are just popping off right now. I'm but, trying uh, to play I'm, it down, man. It's early. It's I'm, early. I'm doing good though in general. Um, you know, it's almost Friday. Going to TO this weekend. Someone suggested a pizza place for me. So are you? Gonna go I'm going to Buffalo. Out. I'm going to the Bills game on Sunday. Damn. Um, how many tables are you going to jump through? At yeah. least, I mean, all the ones that are on fire anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah D only does tables that are on fire. He told me that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally yeah. acceptable. He's yeah. kind of a diva about the table jumping thing. Yeah, they have yeah. to be on fire. <laughs> they have to be on fire. I don't jump. Total diva. Yeah. 
<laughs> you ever been to a Bills game, man? There's such a riot. No, I haven't. I'm excited. My buddy. Uh, oh, dude. I got I got super cheap deal. It was like a hundred bucks Canadian for the hotel room for the night and the ticket. So that's insane. Damn. Yeah, Damn. that's because you're going to the sh- the shitty city of Buffalo. But we're not going to go back there. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. I can't wait to party up with Bills Mafia, man. I got like an over jacket to wear that's got a Bills logo on it, so they'll think I'm you know with them. <laughs> I don't mind the Bills at all, actually. So it'll be fun. No, I like them and yeah, all their yeah. terrible. Yeah, I love Tyra. Uh, I'm all about. I'm Team Tyra. They party hard. I don't want to hate on them. They- yeah, they and anywhere where, like, your fan base just parties that hard, like, you got to respect it. Exactly. Mad respect. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. But if we talk about football Seriously. any longer, people are going to shut the podcast off because oh, we, we know that they are here for hockey, and we, I think, filled up our football quota for the month during Thanksgiving last week. So I think it's time to switch gears and talk about hockey, and there's something uh, really interesting to start the show off with it's uh very rare that a big trade happens just hours not just hours but the same day that we record our podcast uh and we get kind of some instant analysis and we get to break this trade down right away so um let's let's dive right into this henrique and uh Vatin trade uh this morning we had adam henrique and joseph blandizi along with a third round pick in 2018 uh sent to anaheim for sammy Vatin and a conditional pick um, the conditions on the pick are mostly uh, hinged on Henrique re-signing in Anaheim, uh, but he has another year left on his deal anyways. Um, so we don't have to worry about that, at least for a couple years down the road here. Uh, but boys, what do you think about this trade? I mean, it, it throws me for a loop whenever shit like this happens right in the morning. Because like I get, you know, I wake up early, I get the lines all ready for the day, talk, you know, write about the goalies that were confirmed the day before. And then wait for 10 o'clock when morning skates and shit start happening. And then, like, literally at, like, 9.58, there's, like, boom, massive trade. And then, like, I was just spun me into a frenzy because Twitter just explodes and everybody talks about the trade and who won, who lost. But, like, who, like we already know, like, who won and lost the second it happens. Um, and then, yeah, it just ruins Twitter for me for, like, the entire day. But, uh, D, we might as well, you're on a high right now, so we might as well start with you. Uh, what do you? What are your takes on this Henrique Vatin trade? Um I guess instant analysis. What do you think it does uh, in terms of their their fantasy value? Um, well, first and foremost, I think in the short term, Henrique probably receives the biggest boost in fantasy value here. Uh, he goes from you know kind of bouncing between the Hall line and uh, the rest of the top six in New Jersey and a solidified number one center in Anaheim right now. As long as Getzlav and Kessler are going to be out, so it's an interesting situation for Henrique, at least from a fantasy standpoint. Because uh, I think you can expect, you know, kind of production that's right on uh, right on par with his career best, I guess. Um, but then, you know, very quickly once they get healthy, you could probably see him drop out of the top six completely. So it's pretty interesting. But I think right now he gets the biggest boost in the interim. And then, you know, I I don't like the move for Sammy Vatnin. I don't think it's going to be enough to he's going to be enough to kind of uproot uh will butcher on the first power play unit in new jersey right now i think he's got a firm handle on that job butcher only plays 16 minutes a night his job right now is to run that power play and he's done a pretty admirable job of it so i, I don't imagine Vatten and all of a sudden uprooting him and taking his spot there um so he's going from first power play unit in anaheim to you know best case second power play unit uh they also have damon severson there who hasn't done a great job so i'd imagine he would take that spot but again you know Vatten not a guy who produces uh, extremely well at even strength uh, really mo- mediocre for defensemen in that sense so if he's not on the first power play unit I don't know how much fantasy value he really holds uh, and then I guess in the same breath you could expect a boost for Fowler or Montour whichever one of those two is able to 
uh, kind of hop into that spot on the top unit. Uh, but more especially for Montour, because it obviously solidifies himself at least a spot on the second unit moving forward. Um, so I think Montour owners can be feeling pretty good right about now. Yeah, the one thing I think about uh, that comes to mind with me for Vatnin is I think he's a little bit overrated personally, yeah. uh, specifically at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, I've never been like a massive fan. Obviously, his power play production uh, kind of speaks for itself. He's had really good numbers for, I think, four years in a row. Um, and that's also while he's been battling, like you said, stiff competition in Anaheim for yeah. power play time. I mean, Fowler, Montour, even Theodore, uh, Lindholm, uh, when they were all there. But uh, I, I could see that in maybe playing on the top power play unit with Butcher. It's not like a, a, a surefire thing. I think they might even play at even strength together. I don't know for sure if uh, if they'll go there because they might be a, a pretty uh, – they might struggle at least defensively a little Just bit. A little. Uh, High but, I mean, event there. <laughs> yeah, but Vatnin is like, okay, like he kills penalties and stuff too. So he he's not like fine, a terrible defender. But I don't know. It just like, it, it seemed like a bit of a steep – steep price but the one thing that that uh and I, I was reading a quote today and i can't remember exactly who it was from it might have been taylor hall uh don't quote me on this but it was from one of the better devil's forwards and it was kind of um last year they were saying like basically like yeah like we couldn't even get the puck like like their blue line struggled so much to get the puck up to them right um and then now that they've got these high skill forwards and taylor hall and he sure uh jesper brad even marcus johansson and and, and now they add Two really good puck moving defensemen, obviously Butcher in the, in the off season, and now Vatin. So it, it helps them out quite a bit. Uh, I guess now the one thing that is good, they were dealing from a position of strength rather than weakness. You know, he, he sure came in and you know solidified uh, their position down the middle so much so that uh, Henrique actually spent a lot of this year on the wing. Um, so they they were dealing. You know, they, I guess both teams kind of filled a need here. Obviously. Um, the Ducks are extremely thin down the middle without Getzlaff and uh, Kessler. So, uh, Biebs, what do you think about this deal? I, I think uh, you guys hit a lot of it on the head. I I, I was going to say that Vatnin for sure seems like takes the biggest fantasy hit here, which, like D said, um, just from moving on to arguably a lot worse of a, of, of a power play. Although I have loved New Jersey this year, but I, I, I do really like this move for them because, like you said, they dealt Henrique basically just as an extra tool that, that that they had and as something that they could kind of hang out there and see what they could get and although it does seem like they paid a lot um i think i think that vatnin is going to help that that blue line and, and obviously um obviously for guys like taylor hall and uh and nico he sure it's it's only going to help them going forward as this team kind of you know they're a fast team and they're only getting faster um starting from the back end now i i do really i i, I like the move for both teams um i you Actually, you had a tweet today that kind of blew my mind, and it was actually I, I really believe it. But you said that Henrique is probably going to get about thirty minutes of ice time per game now. That he's, <laughs> yeah, no uh, shit. Now that he's up the middle there, because we're looking at guys like I believe it's Derek Grant who's on the first line. Derek Grant, so. Chris yeah. Wagner. <laughs> yeah, that those are the guys plugging up the middle. And although they've made nice, uh, nice DraftKings plays the last couple weeks, um, they're guys that you just can't expect to carry first line minutes. And Henrique can carry that; he's proven it. I think a uh, great move by Anaheim. They they have the weapons, and they needed to let. Um, guys like uh guys like manson and and um and that just really break out and have more ice time that they they deserved and they clearly can't hold um brocky told people to grab montour weeks ago it's looking like now is especially the time to do that too so um yeah i like to move both ways though and i think yeah, the I... uh the one guy that i for- forgot to mention too that i think receives you know a pretty hefty boost from this at least moving forward is nico Heischer. Um, because yep. there, all of a sudden there's just no competition for that number one center spot in New Jersey. 
Um, so yeah, he should definitely see a bump in ice time uh, in the next little bit. Yeah, and just obviously tra- the uh, return of Travis Sajak kind of made this move uh, possible as mm-hmm. well, uh, solidified them down the middle. Uh, the one thing, though, too, D- uh, Biebs, you kind of said moves to a bad power play, but the Devils actually ranked sixth in the NHL in power play right now this year, so that's just made a- an already lethal uh, an already lethal unit a little bit better. Uh, and you know what? I think a lot of the things uh, that kind of go underrated, especially in terms of fantasy value, um, are kind of just the guys that already play for these teams that will be affected uh, by these trades, like obviously, um, in a positive manner, this this will help guys like Hall and Heischer, uh, You know, makes the power play a little bit more dangerous. Uh, they got a guy that can move the puck up to them a little bit more effectively. So this should help uh, just the Devils as a whole. I think that uh, brings a different dynamic to the team that they were lacking a little bit. So that should help them a lot as well. Um, I don't have too much more to add, really, other than kind of like Henrik's been one of the more consistent producers, kind of. Uh, you know, albeit he's been a little bit uh, underwhelming at times. I mean, no, nothing crazy other than, a, you know, 30 goals a couple of years ago. But he's more of just kind of like a 25-goal, 20-assist player. Um, but I think he definitely should be looked at as a potential add in deeper leagues uh, right now. I know I picked him up in the DFO uh, podcast league. I had an open roster spot with Matt Murray going on IR. So I picked him up for the short term uh, because I do think that he'll see a lot of PP one time. Uh, probably play a lot with Corey Perry uh, on the top line as well. And yeah, like I said, like maybe 18, 20 minutes a night out there because he really has nobody. There's nobody else to fill those shoes. I mean, they've been just kind of getting by defense, like uh, offensively, I should say, uh, with just, you know, some bottom six centers playing on the top line. So For I think sure. he definitely sees some some value in the, in the short term. Uh, but outside of, you know, once we get to Christmas and Getzlaff gets back and Kessler gets back, uh, either – uh, Henrik's going to either, they even said it today, either Henrik is going to shift to the wing and play in the top six, or he's going to go uh, and center that third line. But they've already got Antoine Vermette too, so I think it's more likely uh, that he shifts to the wing. Yeah. See, I never know about applying logic to Randy Carlisle decision-making. <laughs> um, but yeah. I do know that he loves players he can trust that can play in all areas of his ice, and he likes to reward those players with power play time. So, yeah, like I would honestly expect Henry That's to Henry be to at team, 20, yeah. if not over 20 minutes a night, because he's going to be playing in like all situations until the Ducks get healthy. Yeah, and he was actually already on pace for a career high, uh, 167 shots. And that was kind of like he was playing like 18 minutes a night. But like you said, he was kind of playing in all situations. He was playing kind of a lesser offensive role than he's Mm -hmm. used to in the past, uh, but still on pace for a career high in shots. So I think that, uh, you know, he's he's been going to he's been looking to shoot more than he has in the past, I guess. And now going to a team where you're kind of looked at as the number one center instead of a secondary option should. uh, I mean, I don't expect that shot volume to go down at all. I would expect it to increase, if anything. Um, So I think this bodes well for him going forward. Vatnin, I think, kind of stays firm. And then, like yeah. you said, uh, Fowler, even Lindholm, too, should, should see a little bit extra uh, power play time. I know BXM might see some extra power play time as well. It's crazy um, and then they I, just have that much D to just, ex- they, like, expend. They, they, they gave up Theodore last year. Last yeah. Year. yeah. Gave up Theodore, yeah, give up Vatnin, and you're just like, yeah. oh, yeah, I, mean, I guess you can maybe, just slide up guys that deserve it. This is the kind of trade we expected them to make, you know, six months ago, but here we are now. Yeah, uh, they were talking about that uh, today. Shiro says he's been working at this, working on Vatnin for like ten months. Yeah, like th- this is this talks have been kind of ongoing, and I know that that uh, the Ducks were kind of saying that the talks kind of halted when Theodore went to Vegas because they were a little bit nervous about getting rid of you know both of them kind of within the same month. Right, I'm uh, sure, mandatory, but- right. Yeah, and then, uh, but realistically, just the injuries kind of necessitated this deal uh, for, sure. for the Ducks. And, 
And then I think uh, one other thing, too, to add, I don't think he's really going to have any fantasy value, at least uh, in the immediate future. But uh, Blandese is also a pretty good pickup for them as well. Uh, he'll probably slide. He'll go from playing in the AHL and probably jump right onto the Ducks uh, roster immediately. He'll fill out in the bottom six, at least to start. Uh, but he's a he's a near point per game player in three years uh, in the AHL. And he's picked up some, you know, he's had some nice numbers uh, in a brief brief time in the nhl as well so uh, it brings a little extra grit but with uh, with some offense as well their bottom six and you know with uh, the lack of depth that they've got up front right now uh you never know uh just based off looking at his numbers uh from the you know lower levels and such but uh let's talk stop talking about trades and let's talk about basically oh, we're not going to whole... talk about the other huge trade that that happened the uh peter hall no. for adam cracknell no, we moved eh? oh my god too many times to count but uh <laughs> basically this whole Still episode now we're gonna we're yeah we're gonna switch and look uh more to more at the fantasy aspect of things now uh and basically this entire episode the first half we're gonna talk about guys that you drafted probably fairly early and that have been disappointments to this point and what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about guys who have been disappointments through the first eight weeks of the season and who we think will pick it up and which guys we think will continue to disappoint they're doomed and then after Yes, and then after the break, we're going to go to the opposite end of the spectrum and talk about guys who have outplayed their preseason expectations, uh, guys that have really surprised us and, and surprised you know kind of the fantasy world through the first eight weeks uh, of the year. And then again, we're going to look at guys that we think can continue this kind of production, can sustain, excuse me, uh, their early season success, and then other guys that will fall off here uh, if they haven't already started to fall off uh, for the rest of the season. So. Uh, there's a couple ways you can look at this. Uh, obviously, uh, most of these segments, you can kind of take it as a buy low, sell high type of deal. And I think that applies right now as well. Uh, so, uh, Beebs, let's start with you. We're going to start with disappointments uh, because I think that's probably the part people are most eager to hear about. Uh, you know, guys that they drafted early that had a lot of hopes for that really haven't, you know, done what they expected them to. Um, I just, before we get to you, Beebs, I just want to mention too that we kind of looked at some players that we haven't already talked about a ton on previous episodes, uh, but we will kind of mention their names as well, just to reiterate, you know, that they're guys we still expect to turn things around or, or, or continue to shit the bed. Uh, so it's it, we're going to talk about a few names that you haven't heard a hundred times on recent podcasts. So with that being said, Biebs, uh what what disappointing uh, draft pick do you expect to kind of pick it up after this brutal first two months? Okay, well, um, this kind of doesn't come after. It doesn't come at the greatest time after you just said we're not going to go after someone we, we people we don't touch on. But this guy was just way too obvious. Um, Max, Max Pacioretty, uh, we have talked about in previous weeks, but it's just for me, I, I can't stay away from um, the just the glaringly obvious trends that are just going positively in this direction um, that I expect um, a lot better production for him going forward. Uh, we've already started. We started to see that for a little bit, and then he went on a six-game stretch where he got no points. Um, that was about two games ago that that stretch ended. Uh, but Patretti has 14 points through 26 games. That's seven goals, seven assists. As we know, Montreal had its early season struggles, both offensively and goaltending-wise defensively. But um, they seem to be turning it around now. And Patretti's, as I say, almost every week, it seems, he's just the driving force behind it all. Um, I've mentioned this all the time. Um, his last five complete seasons, he scored over 30 goals. And that's with over um, 250 shots in all those seasons. And this year he's on pace for a career high um, three. Uh, I apologize, three hundred and fifty-six shots, which would just 
that, that's ridiculous. Um, he already has 110 <laughs> shots this year. He's just freaking – he's throwing everything at the net. Um, and I really don't see him changing much compared to previous years. The numbers are going to even out with previous years as well as he continues um, to succeed here. And just in general, Patches is a goal scorer. I say it all the time. And he's a guy that, that he proves it every year. Nothing's going to change. Um, and I'm not going to go any further because I, I just I feel like I'm beating, beating the horse again. Yeah, he has uh, he has an assist again tonight, so that gives him assists in three straight games. But uh, if he doesn't get on the board at least tonight, uh, he'll go. This will be his ninth straight game without a goal, and you can't keep a guy like him down forever. Like you said, that shot volume is uh, elite. The only knock I think that I have on Patcheretti is it's and it, it's not even a knock on him personally. It's just his line mates. I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and I think that today kind of. Some of the Montreal B reporters alluded to it. They're like, "Oh, there goes another center being traded for," uh, and they're kind of just sinking without guys. Uh, you know, Philip Deneau had a nice year last year, but I I think that they lean on him a little too heavy for his yeah. skill set. And uh, Patches is basically just asked to carry uh, Deneau and Andrew Shaw around the ice all night, and you know he he's not that kind of player. He's you know he. He's a great player. He's a great scorer, but he's not a guy that's just going to yeah, be able need to some help. carry. He does. He needs a talented center. Um, obviously, I think we could see him back with Juma eventually. But they, like many teams, in the NHL are trying to do right now, trying to spread that uh, that scoring out a little bit. So, um, I, you know, it's just crazy. You just look at his shot production, and you just you can't even believe it. Yeah, it's wild. It's almost like because he knows he has to be that that offensive weapon this year, he's shooting even more, and it just it hasn't really translated yet to that offensive success. But I think obviously it's going to. Uh, like you said, you can't keep him caged down for too long. Um, he's just way too elite of a scorer, and, and it's not – the sample size is massive to look at here. It's not, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, he scores 30 goals literally every single season. So yeah. uh, there's not – I mean, it's Max Pacioretty, you guys, a beauty. He's funny. It's one of, like, the funniest uh, daily fantasy plays because you know he's going to go out there and get, like, five shots. Um, and then, like, Which, you never know. He could, he could score, like, five goals. Yeah, or he could score none like he has. <laughs> or, or he could just continue to suck. But I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, D, do you have anything to add on Patches, or do you want to talk about a couple guys you think are going to pick it up? Uh, no, just, you know, Patches shooting at 6.4%. It's pretty much half of what he shot at last year. Um, career low. And his career, yeah, his career rate's 11.1. On ice shoot percentage, again, 7.4. That's the lowest it's been since 2010 for him, um, which wasn't even a full season. So I, I think everything points to Patch Ready, you know, figuring out pretty soon. Um and it's probably already happened to some degree, but it's just going to take a lot of catching up <laughs> for his numbers to look anything half decent. Uh, but I think he's been pretty good lately. Um, you know, the only heart, at least from a fantasy perspective, is the Canadians don't project to be the best team moving forward. Um, so his plus minus could probably continue to be an issue on your team. But I would certainly expect the goal scoring to pick up again soon. He yeah, was like plus it's... 38 and 14 15. That's just wild. Yeah, that's what. Well, that's what. Sorry to swear, but not a nine fifty save percentage from Carey Price will do for your forwards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'll happen. Uh, the one thing that's crazy is if you look at his uh, career shooting percentage with what he's doing right now, he would kind of be on pace for thirty eight goals. So, <laughs> um, just another stellar season if the puck starts flying in the net like it, like it had been. Like you said, the uh, six point or uh, yes, six point four shooting percentage, not really uh, what you're used to seeing out of uh, patches. But uh, D, who are you thinking is uh, going to pick it up here? Um, so I'm going to look at a pair of guys, and I swear this isn't a Leaf pick, uh, a homer pick, rather. It's definitely a Leaf pick. Uh, Mitch Marner and William <laughs> Um 
<laughs> so they're they're kind of both in the same boat, right? I, I think the interesting thing about both of them is they're actually distributing the puck pretty well and, and on pace to slightly outdo what they did last year as far as assist totals go. Mar, Mar, or Marner's on pace for 44. He had 42 last year. Marner's on pace for 41. He had 39 last year. So they've actually done fairly well in that regard. Uh, but where they both struggled is putting the puck in the net, and it's obviously been pretty well publicized. And to, to that point, I actually think like playing in Toronto – even from a fantasy perspective, like these sort of things kind of get overblown. Um, oh yeah. Cause when you look at it, like sure they're, you know, they're not where people have hoped, you know, cause I'm sure a lot of people expected them to kind of make a step in their game this year too. Right. But both of them are on point for right around, you know, low to mid fifties are on pace for right around low to mid 50 points. Uh, and they were just, you know, they were just a little bit ahead of that at 60 points last year. So yeah, they've obviously played slow. And I think the numbers re- reflect that, but um, to say they've been, you know, these huge disappointments, I think is a little overstated and just probably a product of playing in Toronto more than anything. Um, so yeah, you know, they've struggled to put the puck in the net and obviously neither of them are the shoot first type of player. Um, but it's been their inability to convert. That's really hurt their production. Marner shooting just 3%, Nylander just 6%, uh, both average rate around 10% on their young careers. Marner is especially interesting because all we've heard coming into the season is how much he worked on his shot in the summer. Um, and we even heard Matthews reference that again yesterday, talking about how he's been working on it in practice and they expect it to turn around soon. Um, so it's kind of the last thing you expected to see from Marna this year. So it's obviously easy to say they've been unlucky when it comes to putting the puck in the net. Uh, and you could obviously expect that to change in the coming months. Um, but I also think the bigger issue moving forward, um, they are both so good on the power play last year, and that's where a good chunk of their production came from. Nylander especially, 26 of his 61 points last year came on the power play. Um, and Nylander, for the most part, has been relegated to the second unit this season. He sits sixth among Maple Leaf forwards in power play time per game this season. Uh, he was third on the team in that regard last year. So usage has certainly hurt the two of them. Marner spent an unreasonable amount of time on the fourth line with Marner or with Martin rather and Dominic Moore. And now Nylander is seeing the same treatment, even though that line actually has two goals early on tonight. I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I actually think for me that's their biggest concern moving forward because you never quite know how Mike Babcock is going to handle his young progressing stars. Um, but, I, you, you know, I obviously expect their shooting percentages to straighten themselves out. And like I said, they really haven't been all that bad at even strength otherwise. Uh, and that should start to happen. Uh, you, they should start to see the playing time rather. You know Babcock is the type of coach to reward good play. Um, so hopefully he'll smarten up and kick Bozak and Marlowe off of the first power play unit um, once these guys start producing again and give them give them to the the play the playing time their skill sets deserve because both of these guys are still sitting right around 16 minutes a night right now um, which obviously isn't you know that's about average for a top six player but certainly when you consider their talent and skill sets they're perceived to have uh, could grow certainly in that regard. Yeah, yeah, and Nylander moving to the fourth is crazy recently. Uh, but it's crazy. Moves to the fourth line, plays the left, like the least amount of minutes he's played uh, like all season, and now he's got two apples tonight uh, to give him uh, five apples in his last four games. And I mean, he just started, so it's actually uh, about ten periods. Uh, so maybe this is a bit of a wake up call that he needed, and uh, picking up <laughs> helpers when you're playing with those guys. I think he's got two assists on a Dominic Brown or Dominic Moore and uh, Matt, Matt Martin. I actually Matt think Martin. he got in on Matthews on the first one on the power play. So, oh, is it, is it the Matthews one? But still, okay, so. their, their power play yeah. is so weird though, man. Like the way they divvy it up. And 
honestly, like I say, top unit and second unit, but the Leafs kind of roll like they're two units evenly. Um, it's just kind of with play the hot hand, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, so. like the Bozak JVR unit usually starts out, but they pretty much split right down the middle, as opposed to you know most teams. I think you'll see their power play, their top unit usually taking like a minute, twenty minute and a half out of the two minute power play. Yeah, yeah. Sure. One thing I think that that's huge is. Um, just don't drop these guys. I'm, I've seen it in a couple leagues. Um, if you're in a standard league, you know, standard 12-team league, just these guys are going to, like, just the way Babcock moves the line and lines around. If you see Marner or, you know, Nylander touch fourth line, we saw Marner a couple weeks go back there. It's just hold on to these guys. They're, they're, their upside is just so much. And like D said, um, just this offense is ridiculously good. So so don't, uh, don't let the media sway you too much if mm-hmm. that's doing anything. Yeah, they tend to yeah, overreact in Toronto. Yeah. I see it on the like on the forum on uh, DFO all the time. It's like, what the hell's going on with Marner? What the hell's going on with Nylander? It's like, dude, it's like they're literally both. It. Yeah, it, it's no, it's, it has no upside in dropping no, these guys. A lot of times you're dropping it for someone who's maybe on a hot streak right now, or you know, um, <gasps> like a Gibbons on 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 New Jersey. That's not guys. just because they're hot at the time. It's not. It's not. You know, it's not the guy you want to be picking up. Um, these these are just these guys are so talented and and. Like D said, they're not that far off of last year's totals, and that that's off a considerably worse year. So, what happens once they start clicking? I mean, it's, it could be dangerous. Boys, Martin and Cassian just started John and kind of through the mitts, and they're both from Windsor. So, I just had to mention that. Sorry. Yeah. So it's. A, I heard, I heard you just <laughs> let go an audible gas, like you were just. <laughs> I was just so like, That was our whole city. Just, I thought like the somebody scored like the most insane. <laughs> Let somebody scored the most insane goal like in NHL history, uh, and it's just two Windsor boys to drop in the midst. Well, you know, Martin went to. No, I'm not going to get into it. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, just don't <laughs> worry about it. Nobody even knows what you're talking about. Right. Uh, so before we move into guys that we think are going to continue to disappoint, uh, somebody I expect to pick it up is Brandon Saad. Um, Saad really returned to Chicago with a, a massive splash. He had six goals and two assists in his first six games. Uh, that included a hat trick in his first game back. Uh, but, however, he's gone ice cold since then, collecting just three goals and two assists. So five points in his last 18 games. But over that same time, um, he's averaging 2.78 shots per game and is struggling with uh, 6.0 shooting percentage during that time. But then when you just you factor in the fact that this is a guy who's got the 26th best Corsi 4 among forwards with at least 200 minutes played, um, and then in the same kind of category here, he's also uh, 19th in scoring chances for per 60 and 26th in high danger scoring chances for per 60. Uh, so a lot of numbers speak to the fact that Saad's just getting unlucky. Uh, he's still shooting the puck a ton. Uh, when you just when you take a look at these numbers from an outside perspective, you have to think this cold streak's going to uh, come to an end really soon. And it, even more importantly, I think you could see it come to an end in a very big way. I think. Uh, he's been snake bit here for a better part of, um, you know, a month and a half. I think that this is a guy still playing with Johnny Taves, uh, still, you know, a, a dominant possession line uh, in their own right. I think this is a guy uh, who the one thing that we always talk about when we talk about Brandon Saad is his lack of production on the power play, which is a bit surprising. Uh, and that continues to be the case. So if he continues to play well at 5-on-5, five five, the puck is going to start going in. And if he can just start chipping in those extra couple power play points here and there it'll make a world of a difference in his totals so uh brandon sod's a guy really you know he's, he's somebody who coming into the year i wasn't like super high on um 
I always like Saad, but like everybody thought just him returning to Chicago was going to be like this godsend, like he was going to go and score 50 goals playing back with Taves. But I never really thought that would be the case, but I never thought he would be uh, as bad as he's been for the last yeah, uh, month strong. and a half as well. He's been, you know, what, I said, three goals and two assists in 18 games. That's just you, insane. Do you recall the, I think it was episode one or of this season? Well, it's probably episode three of this season once we actually got going when, when we had the Gwensel versus Saad debate. And I was on, I was I was not trading Gwensel because I just said Saad's not going to do this all year, so I'm kind of really happy that this is happening. But I uh, I totally agree with you, Brock. There's no way that he, he can keep up this. He's just in way too good of a position um, to not start putting up way better fantasy numbers. And it's not like they're going to give up on him. He's by far their most one of their most talented wingers. Um, other than that, they just got what seems to be a lot of uh, you know young talent like Ryan Hartman stuff like that. But that those that those aren't people are going to miss display sod um in the lineup so it's it'll, it'll turn around yeah yeah and uh gensel's been unreal with malcolm out of the lineup but yeah uh, he's uh yeah i like it let's talk about some guys who have not been unreal that we expect to continue to not be unreal beams will go back to you guys that have been disappointing that you think will continue to disappoint now this doesn't necessarily mean that they're terrible but just guys that really aren't living up to their draft billing um, so for me, this was the 74th ranked player going into Yahoo standard leagues and, uh, Cam Atkinson out in Columbus. And, um, this was kind of one of the more glaringly obvious, um, guys for regression going into this year. I, I, I think at least for me, I hope, um, but it just seemed like last year, you know, he had a breakout year with 35 goals, 62 points. Um, he had 10 power or 10 power play goals, which was huge career high. 21 power play points he was just it it was a massive year for him but that team just itself kind of had a special year last year and going into this year it just seemed like atkinson was going to regress kind of back to his still good but 50 point kind of self um before before 62 point season last year his um his career high was only 53 seasons before that he's he's proven he's not necessarily the elite scorer that he looked to be last year um, again, he was on that lethal power play this year. He has zero power play points, um, which is just <laughs> ridiculous. And, uh, he currently lines up on the third line in Columbus. We know John Tortorella, Tortorella loves the shuffle, not the dance, the line shuffle, um, <laughs> in his lineups. He just got, um, what was last year's favorite power play buddy, Alex Wenberg back who had 23 power play points and 21 of those as assists. So he was, uh, he was the main person feeding pucks over to, to Atkinson for that that lethal. Um, I don't know, I'm not going to go back on it, but that what what was going last year. Um, just in general, you know, I could see Atkinson getting back to his career average of about 26, 27 goals, which is still phenomenal for fantasy. But he's just not he's not the assist producer that you expect from someone taken as high as 72nd overall. Um, but again, great for your lineup. He's just not that elite forward, um, and I just don't see him finishing this year. As good, especially with the way that that he's seemingly being treated by Tortorella right now, and it seems like Tortorella is giving guys like Josh Anderson and Boone Jenner um, a little bit more playing time off of ha- off of just uh, you know playing John Tortorella hockey, and that's not what Cam Atkinson does. So uh, for now, he just he scares me, and and I don't like him going forward as far as getting back to where he was last year. Yeah, I think uh, he was one of the guys that coming into the year we all thought uh, pretty obvious bust candidate uh it's kind of looked to be that way uh to start the year the one thing i will say is his shooting percentage is drastically down 
Uh, obviously from last year when he shot 14.6%, but it is down from his career mark as well. So I think he has a little bit of room for improvement, but Biebs, you hit on, you hit mostly everything on the head. I think a lot of people drafted him expecting another 35 goal, you know, 60 point season yeah, when uh, he's much more like the player that we saw in the previous three years, maybe goals closer to the mid twenties uh, uh, with about 25 assists or something. He's a lot, uh, Less of a player than he showed that he was last year. I think that a lot, too many people drafted him way higher uh, than he should have been going. Uh, but D, uh, what about you? Somebody that you just expect to continue to suck. I shouldn't say suck. That's too harsh of a word. But somebody <laughs> you expect to continue to disappoint. Struggling. Uh, someone struggling. I, you know, expect to continue to underperform. Uh, Wayne. There Simmons. we go. That's what we were looking for. That was nice. Wayne Simmons. So I. <laughs> this isn't really a knock on Wayne himself, uh, as much as it is just the situation he finds himself in. Still a talented offensive player, certainly an above-average shooter. Uh, he's got 13.2 career shooting percentage, which is exactly what he's shooting this year through 25 games, um, which is obviously you know even more troubling um, because you can't just look at his shooting percentage to explain why he struggled to this point. So if you look a little deeper, what you see really is the Flyers are kind of just a tire fire right now. Um, oh, they're terrible. Oh, so bad. Yeah. And they, they just have no depth up front. Um Yet Dave Haxtell continues to stack the top line, which just kind of befuddles me. Like obviously they're still doing well, but the, when the rest of your top or the rest of your nine forwards, you know, just made up of AHL scraps, like why wouldn't you try to divvy it up a little bit? Um, <laughs> and it's affected Simmons tremendously. He played the bulk of his even strength minutes last year with Giroux and Braden Shen, uh, and now with Shen gone and Giroux literally stapled to Couturier, Couturier and Voracek this year. Uh, it's left Simmons with little, you know, to absolutely nothing to play with. He struggled uh, to the tune of a 45% Corsi rating and negative six relative rating. And this is a guy who hasn't posted a possession rating below 50 since the 2013 season. Um, it's taken a show on a shot production. He's on pace for just 173 shots compared to 224 a year ago. And like I said before, they're going in at his career average rate. Uh, so it's not like Marner and Nylander where I was talking about earlier where we can just kind of sit back and wait for this thing to turn around. There's just less opportunities now for Simmons than there was a year ago. Uh, and as long as Couturier, Voracek, and Giroux are together, I think Simmons is going to be really hard-pressed to produce at even strength. Yeah, that, that top line is literally just scoring. Like, it's putting all their goals in. Nobody else is doing anything. you got to play like, 40 other minutes, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's brutal. <laughs> Simmons, yeah. like, like, you lose Shen, you lose Giroux not lose Giroux, but like you lose him as a line mate, it's affecting him big time. The one thing too, uh, the only real reason you kind of could expect uh, his mid, his production to bounce back a little bit is that uh, Simmons has typically done most of his damage on the power play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and despite the Flyers' conversion rate on the power play uh, basically remaining the same as it has been over the last three or four years, uh, Simmons' power play production is down. So, I think you could you should expect to see uh, kind of more Wayne Simmons like production at least with a man advantage. But as far as five on five goes, I mean he's going to be very hard pressed to do anything. And uh, I think the one thing that maybe he he does have going in his favor is, is Nolan Patrick seemingly improving uh, as you know as every week progresses. He's getting a little <laughs> more comfortable in the NHL. So hopefully as Patrick continues to improve a little bit, he you know he was banged up there for a while, just got back in the lineup. Hopefully, uh, when he improves, uh, that'll help Simmons. Or they're so just gonna have time here, Brock. And yeah, or they're gonna 
Sorry, but or no, they're just, just going to have to break up that top that top line. Like it's the only no. other way. Yeah, that's well, not, I think that is not going to happen. But even to speak to what you said earlier about Simmons on the power play, he's shooting less on the power play, so it seems like he's really like not even that high of an option as he used to be, right? Like with all the success, I think of the the top line at even strength, it seems he's just kind of been relegated on the power play, fairly or not. Uh, but it's certainly affected his production, and it's a real troublesome thing moving forward. I, I think he could be a potential candidate to be moved later on in the year. Um, yep. But you're waiting a long time on a hypothetical as far as a fantasy perspective. Comes, well, so. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying that's the only like hope unless they break up that top line. Like yeah. we just, if Patrick, but like, yeah. But I mean, thing... if the team is that bad, he's got a pretty, you know. Uh, desirable contract like it's not that bad for a team to take on no not at all so he i think he would bring a decent uh you know amount of trade value so i would not be surprised to see him gone before the end of the year but again like i said from a fantasy perspective you're waiting months on a hypothetical there uh because i really don't see it getting any better in the meantime unless no the, the thing is we could see a panic decision from Haxall where he shuffles the line completely but we have not seen well I, I don't even know if that would be a panic decision i just think that would be the right thing to do at this point right. it's clearly not working well like, he's really a bad coach and i just call it a panic because yes. you know it strays from his normal decision making because his job's on the line <laughs> dude he literally just hasn't done anything he's like meh uh we'll, <laughs> scratch, make it work. Dale, we'll scratch dale weath and we'll put in taylor lear oh that <laughs> honestly, didn't work okay honestly we'll scratch taylor leo we'll put in dale weath <laughs> oh it not- didn't work still put jordan wheel in tonight honestly yeah, if i okay. had a roster that looked like the philadelphia flyers i don't know how i would really handle it either you know what i mean i would dress eight defensemen every night and play 10 yeah. forwards because their forwards are brutal <laughs> and their young defensemen are studs but uh, just one number i want to talk about training braden shed in the summer but no for for yori latera who's just a tire fire couple draft team. picks too um yeah but uh, the duo of Nolan Patrick and Wayne Simmons have an ugly 41.44 Corsi 4 right now. They scored just one one even strength goal in 85 minutes together. That's where his so. shots have gone, dude. He's spending all his time in his own zone, right? Like that, That's what I was trying to say earlier. This guy, um, he's a good shooter, but he's just straight up, he's not getting the chances to shoot the puck. No. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Beebs, do you have anything else to add on him? Story. No, the Wayne train's just not chugging this year. Um just it not chugging along well let's no. uh let's try to wrap up this first half because we have gone a little bit long here that than we normally do uh but the guy that i expect to continue to disappoint is patrick line uh for me line hasn't really yeah. been uh that big of a disappointment because i wasn't really expecting big things from him this year i was very um loud about how i was <laughs> expecting him to be a uh, fantasy bust this preseason yeah, uh, because his, his numbers last year kind of just screamed regression uh, and it's happened, uh, kind of, I guess, to a degree, because through 25 games this season, actually, Line A's numbers are nearly identical the last year, at least uh, in terms of possession. Uh, his on-ice shooting percentage is a little bit down. Uh, and he's on pace for 32 goals and 18 assists, 50 points in 73 games. Uh, I prorated over 73 games because that's what he played last year, which is a little bit down from his 36 goals and 28 assists in 73 games last year. So his numbers have taken a small hit. Uh but somehow this guy's been able to maintain a shooting percentage above 17%. Obviously, he's got a great shot, but I think that one of the things that we thought would work in his favor was the fact that he would uh, see a decreased shooting percentage but an increase in shot volume. But the opposite has been the case. Uh, his shot production is actually down uh, from 2.8 shots per game last year to 2.56 this year, so down just a little bit. Uh, but obviously, that's the difference of four goals at this point. 
Um, but anyways, as long as he's averaging between, between 2.5, 2.8 shots per game like he is right now, he can't really be expected um, to be that 40-goal scorer that we thought he was going to be. That, or not, I didn't think he was going to be, but a lot of people thought he was going to be mm-hmm. this year. Um, I so I don't really see him scoring more than 25 goals in these remaining 57 games. Uh, and then we've also kind of, similar to somebody like Willie Nylander, uh, we've also seen Line's playing time drop a bit recently. Uh, he went from r- ranking fifth among Jets forwards in five-on-five ice time uh, at 13.49 per game in the first 20 games to eighth among Jets forwards in 5v5 ice time in the last five games. He's playing just under 11 minutes per game uh, at even strength right now. So almost a full three-minute dip recently. Uh, so obviously, I think that can be also, also attributed to the fact that the Jets do have a plethora of really strong options up front. Thanks. They, they do have a talented like a, a talented surrounding cast around Line, so he's not really going to be spoon-fed those heavy five-on-five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Like other guys kind of – like we just talked about Henrique, how he's maybe not the greatest player, uh, but he's going to go play 20 minutes because of his situation. That's not the same for Line, a, especially at five-on-five. He's more of their their PP specialist. So uh, unless anything changes drastically, like I said, I just don't expect this guy to be a 40-goal scorer, at least not this year. I think definitely down the line. I think he's definitely a great uh, – you know, keeper league player at this point in his career. But I, I, I think that this is exactly what I kind of expected out of him uh, because the, the numbers just aren't there to suggest that he's going to just explode unless all of a sudden he starts shooting four pucks on net every single night. Uh, this guy is not going to reach 40 this year. And I think he's just, you know, where he was drafted, I think he, you know, mind you, he's still going to be a guy that will probably finish the year with 35 goals. Nothing wrong yeah, with that. Still amazing. Uh, but where he was getting drafted was just far too high for, for me. Uh, and I warned people about this. And, you know, maybe for the people who listen to this podcast who did draft him, I'll be wrong. And he'll turn things around here in the next little bit. But in the meantime, I think that he's going to continue to be a disappointment. Uh, Good time to buy low in keeper leagues. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but that's it for the first half of the Daily Fantasy Podcast. Let's send you over to the Blue Stones for 60 seconds when we get back. Uh, we got a detailed injury report and then also some surprises that we expect to continue what they've done so far and guys that are going to start you know, falling off a little bit. So enjoy the Blue Stones. We will see you guys back here in a minute. Broken down, so I walk the line. I drop my wounds and I down. I'm out of money, I'm out of time. Like a broken arrow The time slows and my vision arrows I'm out of money, I'm out of time Sing your hearts out, sing it loud Make me happy, make me proud Black holes, solid ground Black holes, solid ground A thousand voices set on free Season three of the Daily Faceoff podcast. 
Uh, very lucky episode of the podcast because y'all get to listen oh, yeah. to the Blue Stones. What? Blue Stones, they're so good. Um, <laughs> so you're welcome for that. Uh, we apologize for having to listen to us again, but uh, we're going to get into some surprises. The guys who have surprised us so far this year are certainly the opposite end of the spectrum of what we were talking about the first half of the show. But before we get into that, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Brock Segan with the injury report. Brock, what do you got for us? FD1. <laughs> Unless any of your players are named on this lengthy injury report, then considering the number of names I'm looking at right now, it's pretty probabilities are pretty high. Uh, so, yeah, just bear with me. Long injury report here, so let's get right into it. Uh, the Ducks are hopeful that Ricard Raquel will return to their lineup next Tuesday against the Golden Knights, which means I think they have two games this weekend, so he's expected to miss at least two more. Uh, but better news, Evgeny Malkin, upper body, is expected to return to the Penguins lineup on Friday. He said as long as he doesn't wake up tomorrow super sore, he'll definitely be in something along those lines at least. Uh, back to the bad news, Cam Talbot, upper body, yeah, uh, was placed on IR and is expected to miss at least two weeks. Terrible news for the Oilers, and he just started playing it again, too. Super unfortunate. Uh, but then here, the least ex- uh, obvious news, or sorry, the most obvious news of all time, I tweeted it out today. It's a day and end that ends in Y, which means Martin Hansel is on the injury report. He's <laughs> out with a lower body injury. Duh. Uh, Ryan McDonough, abdominal strain, will likely return to the Rangers' blue line on Friday. Good news for them. They don't have to ice like just the ugliest blue line since the Detroit Red Wings. Um, Marcus Johansson expected to return from a concussion uh, on Friday. It's not a for sure thing, but he skated in line rushes at practice as well as practicing on the second power play unit. So good sign there. Mika Zibanejad out indefinitely with a concussion. Terrible news. I think it's like his fourth or fifth concussion, which is never That's good. Scary. Yeah, it's really scary. Don't know how long. He has uh, a music he'll... career though. Yeah, he's real good actually. Hey. Yeah. No, um, he's actually very good. Yes. But, uh, yeah, so he's out definitely. They obviously don't have a timetable like they never do with concussions. But they said that they aren't planning to call anybody up at this time, so I don't know if that's more, like, positive news or it's just like they don't really care to call anybody. I'm not really sure. No insight on that one. Sorry. Uh, But Ryan Ellis, uh, obviously he's missed the entire start of the year with a knee injury, skated with his teammates today for the first time since June. Um, People started freaking out like he was going to play today because people on Twitter are idiots. Uh, but he's still just on pace for a Christmas-ish early January return, which is great news for one of the most potent blue lines in hockey. Uh, speaking of blue liners, Shea Weber, lower body injury, was placed on IR today. Uh, that was basically just a move to enable them to recall Daniel Carr so he could play for Jonathan Drouin tonight. Um, but Weber is eligible to come off of IR uh, for Saturday's game against the Red Wings, which uh, is expected to be the case. Jonathan Drouin admits reports uh, that he forgot his passport. I don't believe those were true because that's just ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> he's actually day-to-day with a lower body injury. Not sure how serious it is. Uh, I think he could play Saturday, but again, not for sure. So monitor his status heading into the weekend. Uh, Brandon Montour, day-to-day with a hyperextended elbow, missed uh, yesterday's game. Uh, maybe back on Friday, though. They got a dub- uh, back-to-back coming up. Friday, Saturday. Look for him to be back, though. They expected it just to be a couple-day thing, so that's good news for the Ducks' blue line, who could use him after trading Sammy Vatten. A couple more here. Let's get through them. Jared Spurgeon will miss at least one more game with a groin strain. Uh, Today was the first game he was expected to miss, I think, tomorrow or Saturday. is the next one that he will miss. 
And then a couple of goaltenders here. Matt Murray, week to week with a lower body injury. Huge blow to the Penguins. They turned to Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith as a goaltending duo. I think I tweeted it out that they have a combined 315 minutes of NHL experience. Uh, Antti Ranta out without a timetable with an upper body injury. Doesn't Just because I say without a timetable doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be out forever. Uh, they just don't really know what's going on. He's not with the team uh, right now. Chilling. And the very last one. Very sad news. Pour some out for your boy. Evgeny Daddy Dadanoff will miss oh. four to six weeks with Daddy. a shoulder injury. The Dad, Florida Daddy, Panthers no. will will be in trouble without Daddy. Daddy. Uh, but Dennis Malgin makes an interesting waiver wire pickup at this point. Extremely low on. That'd be a deeper leagues only. Great but he is playing play. on the top line. Yes, he is playing on the top line with Huberdeau and Barkov. So that's always good news. Uh, but that is the lengthiest injury report I think we've ever done. So let's get right into the surprises, and then we can send you guys on your way. So I've done enough talking uh, for this entire second half during that injury report. So I'm going to take yeah. a break here, throw it over to Beebs, who hasn't got a chance to talk yet since the Blue Stones. D, or sorry, Beebs, uh, <laughs> surprise. Somebody who surprised us to this point that you expect to actually continue to do what he has been able to do so far. I had to I had to check to see if my voice still worked there. It's been so long. Um, I forgot what it's I like. I know I'm not. I'm parched. Yeah, you need to get yourself a big old beverage. Um, but Oops. I'm gonna go off on uh, Sean Couturier right now as my uh, my biggest surprise to the first half that I I honestly think is gonna keep doing it. Um, and we we already talked about Philadelphia's lines and how um, you know how, how they're not really switching around too much on Hextel right now and and. As long as that that trend keeps going, I love Sean Couturier. He came into this year kind of as a third-line centerman in the last um, what seems like forever uh, with them. I, I apologize. Um, but the last seven years with the, with the team, um, he's only 25 years old. People forget that that he, he started there when he was 18 years old. Um, he's now finally coming into the score that we got to see when he was in junior and drafted uh, ninth overall. It's ninth or eighth, I apologize. I should be way more on top of this. Eighth overall <laughs> um, in 2011. But um, Couturier has been, um, as we mentioned, Couturier has been kind of just stuck to Claude Giroux and uh, Jakub Voracek, and it's been working really well. He has 26 points through 25 games to start this year, 14 of which are goals. Um, and D, I believe that you're going to get into uh, exactly how many minutes he's played without Giroux, but it's a ridiculously small amount. So as long as he stays with them, um, they have clearly committed to Couturier as their number one center um, for now, at least going forward. Uh, we, we are obviously going to see Nolan Patrick step up, play a bigger role, but Couturier is their obvious one. He's People forget how good of a defensive player he, uh, he is when he starts putting up offensive stats like this, but I just think he's doing it at both ends. He has two line mates that are clearly their number one offensive options. And for me, Couturier is someone who people got off, off waiver wires, and he is someone who's going to just continue to you know, kind of give you great benefits um, across a bunch of different categories. And is as bad as that team has done, he's still a plus 11 player. Um, and he really Because that line has just been godly. They're so yeah. good. That team and, is so bad. That's <laughs> yeah, what it is. And one thing that's kind of crazy is putting up over a point per game with only three power play points on the year. So um, definitely something that, that nice. could improve for him. So if he starts to improve that's on that, actually... it's kind of scary to see what he can put up. Um, I, I just, I really like, I really like the value that people got him for to start this year. And I really like him going forward. Just uh, even if they do split that lineup, I still believe he's going to be playing next to Giroux. And I like that combo a lot. Yeah. Uh, to your point, Beavs, Couturier, Giroux, Voracek have played 317 uh, minutes together coming into tonight. 
and Couturier has played just 22 minutes otherwise, uh, not with the two of them. So clearly stapled to the hip of the two of them. Um, and, you know, whether it be just riding the coattails of the offensive talents of Claude Giroux and Jakub Voracek, or if Couturier actually has more to offer on uh, the offensive side of the game that people originally gave him credit for, uh, I think either way he's definitely uh, a must-own and, you know, an elite fantasy player moving forward. So funny, I, I get to mention the word coattails later, so that's cool. Coattails. First time we've ever used that, ever used that word twice in an episode. But, uh, D, who do you expect to continue to surprise? Uh, I'm going to talk about Braden Chen for a bit. I already mentioned him briefly when I was talking about Wayne Simmons and how much he misses Braden. Um, but Chen is just loving life in St. Louis right now. 30 points in 25 games. Uh, and obviously not expecting him to continue at that pace moving forward. But I certainly expect him to be a lethal threat and definitely outperform his uh, preseason projections, which is what we're talking about here. That first line is just so good. 58 course C rating uh, for the three of them. That's Shen, Schwartz, and Tarasenko. And an absurd 80% goals for in over 200 minutes of ice time. Um, I think we are talking about before the show, Brock, it was something like 17 goals for, four goals against for that line and even strength right now. Um, so just insane. And Shen has just been reaping the benefits of it all. And while you should definitely expect that line to slow down some, as any reasonable person would, I, I still feel like Shen might have etched himself into elite fantasy territory, played alongside these two. He's a very good shooter. He's been over 10% every year he's been in the league. He's rocking a 14% shooting percentage right now, uh, which is actually right in line with what he's done in the last two seasons. But being on the top line has afforded him more opportunity, more chances to shoot the puck. And he's actually on pace to break 200 shots for the first time in his career. Um, which would be huge for a guy capable of shooting 14% over a full season. We're talking 30-goal seasons at that point. Um, So certainly the jump to 19.5 minutes a game from 17 has helped drive that up as well. Uh, But again, I think it just ties so much into the line mates he's had. Uh, It'd be a shame if I got through this. I'd be real disappointed in myself without mentioning his very high on-ice shooting percentage right now, 14%. Um, But again, I'm not expecting it to be over a point per game moving forward like he has been, so I think some aggression is certainly to be expected. Uh, but playing with the quality teammates he, ha- he has, it's certainly plausible to expect Shen to be able to maintain an above-average on-ice shooting percentage moving forward. Just when you look at himself and Tarasenko, both on that line, both elite shooters, it's not surprising to see the on-ice shooting percentage as high as it is right now. <clears throat> so I-, I think even if regression does come to bite him, Shen is a safe bet to produce at a 70-ish point pace moving forward. Um, which, again, would certainly be a nice surprise from where he's projected to end up at the start of the season. So I'm a big Braden Shen fan. I'm on board with what's going on in St. Louis right now. And although I do expect it to slow down, I think it'll uh, you know, be, still be kind of elite production when, it all, when it's all said and done. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, at a, they're playing at a ridiculous pace right now. It's mm-hmm. insane. Uh, and th- you know what? I've always been one of the, the biggest uh, Jaden Schwartz fans. Uh, I've always thought he's been extremely underrated. I've always been a huge Vladimir Tarasenko uh, fanboy as well. I think I had him ranked this year higher than pretty much anybody. I had him at number four uh, when he was kind of falling down draft boards a little bit further. So kudos to me on that one. I'm proud of myself for that. But I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't have some of the boys like Kucherov quite as high either. So I, you know, where I had to replace somebody with somebody, there and uh, it, it was Tarasenko. But um, the fact I, I was always a, a Shen fan and the fact that the three of them are now playing together. Like I just absolutely love this line. I watch them every single night. I pretty much take them in DraftKings every night just because I love watching them so much. And it, they're just so good. It's insane. So uh, I think that there is obviously some regression to be had. I think we, we've already seen that 
with the Kucherov, Stamkos, Nemestikov line mm-hmm. uh, these yeah. past couple games. You know, they just you can't be expected to continue to score at such a ridiculous rate, but at the same time, they're going to be better than uh, almost every other line in the NHL night in and night out, and they're, they're just going to continue to dominate. And, and uh, unlike in Philadelphia, where their top line is godlike, but the rest of the team sucks ass, St. Louis actually has some other yeah. players that can actually cast, play yeah. hockey. Uh, including a plethora, I said it again, of really good defensemen. Cool. So uh, I absolutely love the Blues going forward. And yeah, Shen, or, uh, Shen and Schwartz and Tarasenko, it's just it's insane. I watch them every night. It's like I, 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 tune, I think I'm a Blues fan. It's insane. I, watch more, <laughs> I think I watch more Blues games than anybody this year. They're unreal. It's crazy how much this year, like, um, just lines are just dominating. Um, like you said, you got mm-hmm. that Kucherov line. We had the line with our boy Daddy. Um, Barkov and Huberto looking really good too there for a while. I mean, there's just been so many good lines. Um, but and then and then yeah, Shen, yeah Shen's right in the middle too. of, you know, I think is the best of the two lines in hockey, which is that, and then obviously the line out in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there when Daddy was healthy, there was just five lines in the NHL that were just dominating everybody. Um, yeah. But guys, that I expect to continue to surprise, uh, going a little homer like D did earlier in the episode. But I'm going with the Detroit Red Wings own Dylan Larkin. Uh, Larkin, obviously not the first player to fall on his face in his second NHL season, and he's also not the first to bounce back in year three. Uh, Larkin is back up over two and a half shots per game. Uh, he's got a Corsi rating north of 52, and an on and his on-ice shooting percentage has bounced back from 6.7 last year to a reasonable 8.9% this year. Uh, he leads Red Wings forwards in scoring chances, 4 per 60, and is second to just Anthony Mantha in high-danger scoring chances, 4 per 60. Uh among a large group of first quarter breakouts, I think he kind of stands out as someone who can actually maintain, if not even actually improve on uh, this early season pace. As long as his shooting percentage sees some positive regression, uh, as it should, I think it's hovering right around 6% right now. Uh, and, he, and he was a lot higher than that in his rookie campaigns. Excuse me. Uh, he could very well pick up 15 goals and 30 assists, uh, maybe 35 assists in the remaining 57 games. And I would put him on a 22-goal, 50-assist uh, per 82-game pace. Nice. I really think something like that is maintainable because uh, the Red Wings, although uh, I, I harp on Blaschel, uh, the one thing he has kind of stuck with is, is Dylan Larkin centering the second line behind Zetterberg. Larkin's playing tons of minutes, night in and night out in all situations. Uh, and it's great to see... Uh, he's really grown a lot as a player this year. He's playing really well. Um, I don't necessarily think that he'll... Uh, I think the goal scoring is really where he's still going to lack. He is shooting the puck more, but I think he's just more of a playmaker, especially when he's playing with guys like Mantha. I think he I think he really can take a shot at 40-plus assists this year. Um, and then I think he can climb over that 20-goal plateau as well. It, it, it remains to be seen, obviously... Um, that that shooting percentage does need to improve. But I don't know. I think there's a lot to like here. Uh, the Red Wings are, you know, starting to look more like the tire fire. We all expected them to be. Yeah. Uh, but they, they have so many good young pieces. They are an exciting team. They play a fast brand of hockey, you know, led by Dylan Larkin. And I think that he's going to continue uh, to have a lot of success. I mean, he's got like 17 assists in like 25 games. That's yeah. nothing to scoff at, at all. It's really impressive. So if he can just add some goal scoring, uh, numbers into that uh, the Red Wings can at least kind of 
continue to play at least respectable hockey, then I think Larkin has a great chance to finish the year at least kind of as he started it. I, I really believe out of all of these guys who have had crazy starts, he's one guy that can actually improve on the start. Like I said, they got some good young pieces, especially if they start putting these guys together. I don't want to say it every episode. It's not a Red Wings podcast. But Blasio, get your shit together, bro. I mean, Luke Glendening started tonight. He started tonight in the first line. Like, it's asinine. I, I'm not going to get into it, but holy shit. Beebs, let's go right back to you. Let's go. Guys who have been surprises early in the year that you think it's over. You know, not over, <laughs> but I, I always get way too over the top about it. But guys that you think are going to, you know, obviously come back to earth a little bit after a really good two-month stretch. Yeah, and I've been waiting a while to, to go off on this guy um, just because Brock <laughs> brought him up as a, as a nice pickup candidate a couple weeks ago. And Brock, I do have to say, he was an awesome pickup candidate a couple weeks ago. So props to you. You're but welcome. Dustin Brown is who I'm going to attack here. Um, glaringly obvious, um, bound for aggression, a completely sell-high candidate right now. But um, he's currently on pace for this. is crazy. You guys ready for this? He's on pace for 32 goals and 37 assists to end the year with. 69 points nice nice Dustin brown nice dustin brown but um he has 10 goals and 11 assists right now through 25 games um that's just ridiculous pace for a guy who uh i mean hasn't put up more than last year he put up 36 points which was the first time he's surpassed the 30 point plateau um in five years so um as far as i know anyone who can't get over 30 points is not necessarily (laughs) fantasy relevant not if you're Uh, forward Yeah, definitely not as a forward. I don't care how many hits he's throwing because, as we know, he is a, he is a, he is a league leader in he hits. But who's, playing in, who's, playing, who's playing in hit leagues anyways? Um, also, uh, but just just right now, um, I'm not saying drop Dustin Brown because he's in a phenomenal position. He's back on that top line, I believe, out in L.A. Um, Anze Kopitar is just popping off this year, which I love to see. Um, and Brown's clearly clearly had some positive um, outcomes from that. But one thing that's just glaringly obvious that's going to go down, we talk about it all the time, is his shot percentage. He's currently shooting 14.1, which is uh, almost five points higher than his, uh, his, his 9.4 um, career shooting percentage across over 10 years. Um, he, he's, he's 33, so, you know, it's not this – there's no Benjamin Button magical breakout going to happen right now. Um, his 60-point his, his year from 07-08 literally 10 years ago is way far behind him. He's just someone who, um, who is going to be great at the bottom of your roster, but keep an eye on him. He's definitely bound for a lot of regression. He's not going to be a, a, a 69 point um, guy this year. I just, I just can't see it finishing that way. Yeah. Whatever. That's what you guys said last time, a couple weeks ago yeah. when I said, this he only has 71 shots. Wild. Yeah. I don't know. I you just... know, what's funny is we were talking before the show and I'm actually starting to come like full circle on Brown for as much as, oh, like, you are? as hard of a time as we gave. Oh. Rock. And I still, think I am, that... but like, I still think he'll like end up being kind of borderline, um, but Kopitar is just playing so well right now, and I do expect Kopitar to slow down too, which is the only reason I'm not really talking about him. Um, yep. Otherwise, you know, I think he'd be a prime candidate for someone that's just surprised so much so far earlier in the season. Um, but again, Kopitar just played so well. The thing is, Browns hopped up to you know around 19 minutes again for the first time, and I don't know how many years, five, six years. Um, and he's actually on pace to break 200 shots again, which Brock was, you know, happy to point out that Brown always mm-hmm. used to break 200 shots when he played first line minutes. Did um, used to do that. So who knows? I, I do think he'll be pretty serviceable moving forward. I think if you can move him, you should. But I don't know how many people are willing to buy in on Dustin Brown right now. Uh, maybe you can fool. A lot of dumb idiots out there. Maybe, maybe. But otherwise, I think he's just kind of fine to hold on to as a guy that gives you dual wing eligibility. Um, 
Tell people he's, he's the captain. He's going to shoot a ton and on, a, on a line that's going to dominate the puck more often than not. Uh, but again, your point, Peeves, there's no way he's continuing at the pace he's at. I feel pretty confident saying that, even though I'm already backtracking on the amount of shit-talking we did on him a couple of weeks yeah. ago. I can't yeah. shit-talk him too hard because I don't know if you guys heard about the Sean Avery story about him, but that just made me feel so bad for the dude. Um, but if you guys yeah, haven't heard that story, Did he look make a into comment it. about well, his wife to the media? Did yeah, he pull them over to make a comment unprompted? Yeah. Or yeah, is that well, just basically him the- just... Him just no, him just following him around, telling him his wife, you know, was was not attractive enough to be a hockey player's wife. Apparently, that he he what? would mention that almost every day to him. So uh, that's pretty legit, Sean I guess. Not an animal, man. John Avery is a scumbag. It takes a certain kind there. of person to try to screen a goalie face to face, and that's the kind of guy we're talking about right now. Yeah, I just couldn't yeah. believe it though. Um, but definitely something to look into if you guys want to hear a crazy story and feel really bad for Dustin Brown. Um, I actually kind but... of thought that was the the greatest move ever at the time too. When Sean Avery did the face up screen to Martin Broder. Yeah. He couldn't see cool anything. He couldn't see anything. It should be allowed. It should be allowed. It is allowed. No. It is allowed. It's just it's so scummy that no one does it. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those unwritten rules. Also, like, no one's like as bad as Sean Avery where like the best thing you could do is be like, okay, don't even threaten to touch the puck, just go screen like block the goalie's vision. But I don't know, like how valuable is that, you know? I'm I'm actually kinda surprised no one's looked so into it. He can start scoring on the power play. Maybe Coach D has a point. Maybe. Anyways, anyways who, who do you guys uh, who do you guys got as your guys? Who are gonna, you know, or numbered? Yeah. Uh, all right, I'll get into it. Um, yeah, dive right in. So I, I'm just gonna mention a trio of guys really quick. I'm not gonna go into too depth or into depth too much about any of them. I think the show's gone long enough as it is. Um, but William Carlson, Anders Lee, Jason Zucker, all three of these guys have scored way more than we thought coming into this year. Uh, and all three of them are shooting above 20%. Uh, so that should tell you what I'm about to say right now. All of them should come back to earth to some degree. Uh, Carlson, you know, interesting case. He's never played really above 13, 14 minutes a night and certainly excelling in a first-line role in Las Vegas. But I really don't trust the Golden Knights right now moving forward. Um, and Carlson's at the top of that list. You, you know, this isn't a career guy who we've looked at from the get-go and said he's a pretty good shooter. This is just kind of out of nowhere. So he's one I can pretty confidently say he's going to slow down, maybe to the point where he's going to find himself back on the waiver wire uh, before not too long. Zucker, on the other hand, uh, was a guy we kind of pegged potentially to break out uh, because, yeah. you know, he was only playing 15 minutes or so last year in Minnesota. He's up to 17 minutes right now. Um, so, again, I have a hard time getting past this absurd, absurdly high shooting percentage. But I think you can definitely make an argument that he'll fall down to earth and still be somewhat employable, at least from a fantasy perspective moving forward. And then Andres Lee is super interesting because it's not like he shoots a lot or anything, but he plays with Jonathan Tavares, and he shot 70% over the whole season last year. Um, Crazy. And I don't think he's that good of a shooter is the, like, the thing. So I don't know how it's happening. Um, but he seems to know what he's doing, obviously. And I think playing with Tavares uh, he seems like he just gets in the right spots at the right time but again I don't know how much his production can be banked on moving forward I'd be really weary about uh you know kind of banking on these guys moving forward for production and counting on them but nevertheless again these are all guys that are certainly serviceable right now but uh you know, I wouldn't expect them to produce at the same rate they have moving forward and certainly guys you can look at as sell high candidates right now my favorite part about that whole thing was that you called him Jonathan Tavares. I've never heard that one before. Never heard Jonathan? 
It's a thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't you remember the Never World Junior it. Days? That's all Dave Randorf used to call him. I know. I haven't heard it in ages. Yeah. It's awesome. At least not on this podcast. But uh, for me, um, it's Vlad- Vladislav Nemestikov. We kind of alluded to it earlier, the fact that that line has started to cool off. Uh, but Nemestikov enjoyed an excellent first quarter. Uh, here it is, D. Riding the coattails of Kucherov and go. Stamkos. Nice. Uh, he- Used 23, well. 23 points, uh, 10 goals, 13 assists in his in his first 25 games. Um, the, you know, the one thing that we said about him early uh, was that he just didn't shoot a lot. Uh, he never shot a lot, ever. Uh, but he's he actually is this year. He's firing nearly 2.5 shots per game. Uh, however, he is shooting at an insane 16.1 uh, percentage right now. And then I think we've talked about this before as well. He has actually been a guy, despite not shooting a lot, who actually has been able to maintain a pretty high career shooting percentage. But, I mean, 16.1. Uh, if we think that Patrick Laine's 17 is going to come down, I definitely think that Vladislav Domestikov's 16 yep. is coming down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, we've obviously seen that that line inevitably cool off. Uh, I don't think that uh, Kucherov or Stamkos were ever actually going to finish the year with like 140 plus points, like they were on pace for at one point. Um, but yeah, as they yeah. come back to as they continue to come back to earth here a little bit, uh, Domestikov will not only feel the effects of that, but he'll feel he'll feel it even more than Stamkos and Kucherov will. Because Stamkos and Kucherov will still feed off each other and get their points. Where Nemesikov, he's kind of, like I said, just riding their coattails, just along for the ride type of deal. Mm-hmm. And the one the one worry is that as that line kind of continues to cool off, uh, there, there is the fear that they will start to shuffle lines a little bit. Uh, we saw it last night in Boston. I think that was a little bit more of uh, they didn't want to go head-to-head with the Bergeron line on the road because that's a really tough matchup type of deal. But at the same time, uh, I think we could see these lines start to get shuffled around as Tampa Bay continues to kind of have a hard time scoring. And Nemestikov will all obviously be the first guy uh, to take a big hit by that. Um, they have a lot of other options there. It's not like in other teams where there's just, you know, in Philly, there's not a whole lot of options. In, in, in Tampa Bay, there is, you know, Andre Pollock can easily go up there. Uh, Tyler Johnson could easily play with Kucherov uh, like they did in the past. Um, so, I think it's getting increasingly more difficult to really envision Domestikov uh, continuing his near point per game pace. Uh, he was great for the, you know the time being, and I still I still truly believe that you could absolutely sell high on this guy, uh, and I, I would work uh, pretty hard on that uh, because I think that window is quickly closing. At least uh, you know in terms of how much you could get in return. I think as long as he's on that yeah. line, he'll still be a sell high candidate, but. I think that, you know, the, the return could be dwindling here uh, as the weeks progress. But uh, do you guys have anything else to add or should be, you know, finally shut up and head over to the Blue Stones again? The one thing I want to say is I'm watching the Predators-Canucks game right now and there was just a review for an offside on an empty net goal. Did you guys know when it's a review for the offside, the linesmen take the call? No. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That That's it. Just put it. Because the That's only cool, thing yeah. I reason I say it's crazy is that if like a blatant penalty happens right in front of a linesman and both refs miss it, the linesman can't like call it. They give the linesman no power at all. But all of a sudden, you're giving them a direct line to Toronto where they can make or break the decision of a game. Come on, <laughs> come on, that blows my mind. Anyway, that's it. Not Dude, happy about it. I got into a no, wormhole. It's not that I'm not happy. It's just I, I find it very interesting. That's yeah, it. I got like, you, think, you think the head ref doesn't know what offside is? Like, <laughs> just because he's wearing <laughs> the, the extra orange stripe that game? I don't know. I'm sure he knows. I, that's not, That's my point. Why isn't he the guy? <laughs> and then he has to go yeah. to them, hear what Toronto and them came up with, and then report that to the crowd. 
just seems yeah, like you can cut out the middleman here like you do in every other process regarding the linesman. But that's what grinds <laughs> these gears today. That's it. That's yeah. it. It doesn't even necessarily grind my gears. I just think it's uh, it's interesting. Anyway, we're out. I, I think we should end every single show like this. Just uh, uh, so one of us just going you <laughs> what know, firing off the cop about really pisses us off. Uh, maybe D because he gets fired up, but I think I could get just you as get, fired up. Sometimes. You get equally so. fired up. Yeah, I get angry sometimes. But uh, <laughs> anyways, that was episode 13, season 3 of the Daily Faceoff podcast. Sorry for going a little long today. Uh, also, and if, a little hard. If yeah, this isn't heard by anybody, that's because Dylan messed up the recording process. All the pressure was on him today. So D, I think we got I, it, I, but it, the audio I, quality might not be there. So, so Well, if apologies. it is, we apologize, and I'll figure out my end so that it, we get back to our normal yeah. uh, high-quality yeah. listening but- I was done. Okay. I was hoping you were going to cut me off. I, didn't know I was just going to say the information was still there either way. You know what I mean? Quality information every single week from the boys of the GFO podcast. I'm Brock Segan from Dylan Deeperty and Michael B. Bonnie. Here's the Bluestone. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.